0: Friends, take out your pew Bibles, and let's look together at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. You'll find it on page 985. However, if you don't look at the page numbers, you get an extra cookie if you find it at coffee hour. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 Peter's writing to a very different community of Christians than the one we live in. And you'll see how different in just a moment. <clears throat> and yet how much the same. First Peter 4, 7 through 11. Peter writes to the church, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. Above all, Maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold uh, grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift you have. Excuse me. Each of you has received, and whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. I want to ask you a question. What happened... On May the twenty first, twenty eleven, and then again on October the twenty first, twenty eleven. Anyone know? Ah, the world ended twice in one year. You remember that this guy uh, Harold Camping, out in uh, head of Family Radio, out in San Francisco, had uh, rejected the church back in two thousand one, and had encouraged people to only fellowship with his radio program, and then found out through a lifetime of calculations, he was a trained engineer, that the world was going to end first on May the 21st, 2011. May the 22nd came and he had to go back and rethink it again, did some more calculations and discovered it was October the 21st, 2011, and when October the 22nd came, he retired. But lest we get down too much on Harold Camping, let's be fair. People have been talking about the end of the world ever since that book was written. In fact, the people who were writing in that day thought that Jesus was going to come again any day. They expected that their lives were going to end and end soon and not soon enough for a lot of them because every day they lived, they knew that they were one day closer to being tortured or eaten by some wild animal or otherwise persecuted for their faith. The end of the world sounded like a good deal for some of those folks. So when you read in First Peter chapter 4, him saying these things, don't think of yourself living in well, what? One of the most comfortable places you can live in the world. Think of people living furtively. Think of people looking out their front doors before they would sit down to pray with one another, or could sing only in hushed voices when they praise the Lord. Don't think about coming to First Presbyterian, or Second Presbyterian Church, or first for that fact, to, to, to pray or to worship or to hear the wonderful organ being played. Think about being frightened to gather it all. And you'll get what First Peter was talking about. So when Peter said in, first chapter, or in the 4th chapter, verse 7, the end of all things is near, everybody was going, yeah, let's get out of here. This is a, this is a bummer. I'm ready to, I'm ready to leave. but it's now 2,000-some-odd years later. The end is near, always will be. We never know when it's going to come, which is, by the way, the lesson that Harold Camping learned twice. The end is near. What do we do now? What do we do now? What does it mean to say that the world is going to end? How do we respond What do we do when we hear that the world is about to expire? Well, you could do what some of Camping's followers did. Maybe you heard about them on the news or read some of what they did. Some of them quit their jobs, liquidated their retirement savings, painted Camping's message on the side of their automobiles, and drove around the country for a couple of months before the end was supposed to happen. One guy in New York City liquidated his entire $140,000 pension uh, buying billboards around New York City telling people to repent before it was too late. He gave all kinds of interviews, and of course, people laughed at the church, sniggered up their sleeves, and then when it didn't happen, is even worse, right? Because even if we understand that that was a far-out position, People who are not in the church didn't get that, and it looked like just Christians doing what Christians do, which is being a little bit strange. But listen to this. Chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. So what do you do? You go nuts, right? You run around and you put up billboards and you shake people by the lapels. No, it says... The end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourself for the sake of your prayers. We have no idea when Jesus will come again. We have no idea when the end of the age will happen. We have no idea what it is we will be called to do. And so you know what we need to do? Chill out, behave ourselves, get disciplined, and stay in prayer. That's the only call for the end of the world. It's not to sell your your goods and buy a big van so that you can paint John 3.16 all over it. It's not to wear a toga and sandals and stand out on the street corner. Discipline yourself, it says, for the sake of your prayers, thus you prepare for the end of all things. Now, there are about a 100 TV channels and about a 1,000 preachers on them, many of them with much nicer hair than mine, who will give you advice that's exactly opposite to that. You're supposed to go crazy. You're supposed to worry. You're supposed to... No. Isn't the point of having faith in Jesus Christ that in whatever situation we are more than conquerors and that we can have Peace that passes understanding. Isn't that supposed to be the deal? So, why is it that when we hear our master is coming back to take us to glory, we would go nuts? Shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. So, you can tell when the false prophets arise by how weird they act. You can tell. If they tell you what the date is and what the time is and how much you ought to send them before it happens, you know that it's the wrong thing. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourselves. But, but, until that time, what should you do? What's the point? How do we structure our life together? It says, above all, do what? Above all, maintain constant love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> Friends, when we look at what it is that's supposed to characterize our being together, nothing surpasses love. Why? Because like Bill said earlier, we are all enmeshed in this planet-wide propensity for sinning. And I guarantee you at some point in your life at Second Presbyterian, although in this crowd it hasn't happened yet, one of you is going to screw up. (laughs) Somebody's going to mess up in this room, I promise you. And when you do, our response is going to be to line up in front of you and shoot you dead. Oh, wait a minute. Betty, Betty just about fell out of the pew back there. <laughs> that's not it. But that's what we end up doing, isn't it? Somebody really screws up and we all move back in case we don't catch it. But what's it supposed to be? It is supposed to be, above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Yes, Harold Camping stomped on the church's toe. And our response should not be to put a dunce cap on him and make him sit on the high stool in front of everybody else, but to say, Harry, buddy, we've all been there. Because we all have, haven't we? You've done stuff that you don't want to admit. That much I do know. Me too. You've said things to people. You've heard people's feelings. You've done all kinds of things that you don't want to admit. But the point is that when we come to this place, this place is the getting better place. Not the getting your toes stomped on place. Because love covers a multitude of sins yes we're looking forward to the end times yes we want Jesus to come back yes we want the culmination of all things to happen because that's when Christ will assume his place as Lord of all and all will know it but until that time love is how we get along not making each other mind not telling each other how The cow eats the cabbage because that's just the way I am. Right? But instead, going against type to say, what I have been ordered to do by my master is to love you, and I guess I gotta, and so I'm gonna. This word, love, that's in verse 8, is that word agape. And agape, I don't know, this would be the third time this week I've had to talk about this. I'll have to check with somebody on why that's been happening. But anyway, third time this week I've talked about agape love and how agape is not the love that is triggered by something else. It's not because you see someone and you think, whoa, how sexy are they? And that's erotic love or eros. Or you look at somebody and you say, they're a really cool person. I wish I could get to know them. That's Philos love or brotherly love. Or, oh, look at the sweet little baby. Or, look at the little puppy with the big eyes. Or, oh, there's a member of my family. That's called storge love. This is agape love. Agape love is not love that's caused by something, but love that you cause. Love that is caused in you by the power of God because it is the love with which God loves us not because we deserved it, not even because we were deserving of love or there was anything in us that deserved to be loved, but because God chooses for us and his symbol of that is Jesus Christ. That's what that love is. So when you read here in verse 8 about love one another, he is saying this is going to be hard for you to do. He's not going to write stuff that's easy, right? He's not going to say, go to a party with people you really like and then try to enjoy yourself. That sounds stupid. You know, who's going to say that? These exhortations come only when it's hard. And sometimes it is hard to love. That's why that stuff is written down there. It's not there because it's easy to do. It's in there because we have to be reminded that if we open our arms to the power of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, we can be empowered to love people, even those that we don't like all that much. Look at what it says in this next verse. It's even harder than verse 8 to take. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Now, again, being hospitable doesn't sound like it's a hard thing, but why do you think he throws in without complaining? It's because some of the people that you need to have in your house are not necessarily people you would like to have in your house. And that's the hard part. When we lived in Pakistan, we found out that there was an open gate policy for white people in terms of hosting individuals who came to town. So we had calls at 6.30 in the morning saying, we're at the bus station, can you come and get us? And these are for people we barely knew. But we'd get in the car and we'd go down, and we'd bring them back to our house. They'd say, oh, what do you have for breakfast? So I'd, you know, we'd find, we'd make stuff for breakfast, we'd put it out. And of course, you know, we had no idea any of this was gonna happen. 11 o'clock at night, there would be a knock at the door. We were in bed already. Get up. There are people at the gate. Bring them in. Actually, this is the same family. Um, and um, <laughs> Lack of boundaries, I guess. But anyway, we learned about hospitality in Pakistan because you don't turn people away like that. Now, I, I have to say, and I guess Marianne would testify to the same thing, we did complain. But Loudly and often. <laughs> but there's a whole world waiting for our hospitality, church. There is an entire world waiting for our hospitality and our smiles and our welcoming. And the reason why we've been enjoined to do it is because nobody else is. Easy. Easy. No. Common? Absolutely not. But if we're going to be prepared for the end times, if the end of all things is near, what must we be? We must be loving. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift you've received. Now again, you don't need to be told to do that to people that you like. You know, oh, I'd love to have so-and-so over and make them my special casserole or whatever it is that you'd like to make. That comes naturally for people that we like. This is an injunction to find people that you don't know, people that you're not naturally close to, and bring them into the body of Christ through your own open arms to minister to them with the abilities that you have. The call towards the end times is not to get all aggravated. But it is instead to love one another. And so the end of it is this. this is the, and this is the point. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. The point here is that what we do brings glory to Jesus Christ. This is an active congregation. We do a whole stack of things. We put right out at the center that we are a city congregation and that means stuff for our mission and how we construct our self-image and how it is we do our budget priorities and all that kind of stuff. And we're proud of that. And that's good. Except that. If we do not understand what we are doing as a response to the already given grace and gifts of God, we've missed it. Because the service is not an end in itself. Our service, when we commit it, is always and only, if we do it in this name, always and only to be done to the glory of Jesus Christ, and that's it. Because it doesn't matter If we're here today and tomorrow we're out in the middle of some cornfield in Nottaway County, we're still supposed to be living to the glory of God. That we're in the city is only a happy circumstance. The point is not that we're in the city. The point is that we have been claimed by the love of Jesus Christ. The point is not that we like doing good things for other people. The point is, is that we have been given all things in Christ and have been asked in gratitude to Him to serve others. That's what we're supposed to be about. And it says that when we serve, we're supposed to serve in the strength of God. That's why it's not just the service that we do. The service is actually the result of the gifts we've been giving of of given and giving the prayers that we have prayed and we've learned to pray the study that we do together the fellowship that we have all of those things are supposed to empower and strengthen our service otherwise we're simply making ourselves happy with our own propensity to be nice sisters and brothers the end Is coming. What do we do now? We love. We serve. But above all else, we in every way seek to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ, who withheld not even his own life, but gave us gifts like body and blood, to strengthen us for life in this world. What do we do now? Sisters and brothers in Christ, we rejoice. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.